Kia ora, I'm Vincent Herringer and welcome to This Climate Business. Every week we talk to people turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Follow us on social media and please rate the show as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the programme. Have you heard of Scope 4 emissions? Me neither. If you thought Scope 3 emissions are hard to count and reduce, then Scope 4 lifts the ambition yet again. Scope 4, or so-called avoided emissions, ask businesses to create products that replace dirty ones and thereby avoid emissions. Think about renewables replacing gas or bioplastic replacing PETs. To explain Scope 4, I spoke with Dr Jody York, the chair of the Impact Committee for the Climate Venture Capital Fund, and also she's the head of impact at the Melbourne-based Kalara Capital. Now, quick declaration of interest, the sound quality isn't great. Also, I work for the Climate Venture Capital Fund, and we've just published our first annual and impact reports. I started by asking Jody, what did she think of the progress we've made so far? You're on the advisory committee for, for impact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've just published our first annual review. Do you have any reflections on the annual report and the impact report? Um, Did we pass, Jody? Do you give us a tick? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm very impressed with the impact report. I'm very impressed with the level of rigor in it. Um, I think it is uh, a step forward in the direction that we're already seeing in the market in Europe and other places, but not nearly as much in this part of the world, where you know you're specifying. Emissions avoided, sometimes known as scope for emissions, uh, specifying financed emissions, because, you know, a lot of the focus has been on industry or whoever else and reducing emissions, you know, those bad people over there. But the truth is, in investment management, it looks like we don't have a carbon footprint until you actually look at what emissions you are financing. And that is 90%. You know, of my of the operational emissions you know, here in my office, ninety uh, percent is purchased goods and services. But that's before we even get to uh, yeah. what we're actually financing. What's the Would service you call that we're providing? Scope three. Uh, yes, so that's that's up, upstream scope three. Yeah. So scope three is the things that you don't have direct control of that are also not purchased electricity because that gets its own category. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, everything in your supply chain. Uh, upstream from the point where they dig it out of the ground or chop it down. Yeah. But also, there's the downstream scope three, which I think we're not, on average, very good at measuring yet um, anywhere in the world, which has to do with the use of your product. It has to do with the end-of-life treatment of your product. Who's responsible for that? Yeah. And so I think those boundaries are moving a lot. And I think Climate Venture Capital Fund is on the front foot because they have the information that the market is increasingly starting to say it needs. So let's talk about Scope 4, because that actually was a new concept for me. I mean, I was hard enough getting my head around Scope 3, but Scope 4 is called Avoided Emissions. What Can you explain that? Sure. Basically, um, with emissions, there's, there's three things you can do, and only three things. <laughs> right. So they can be sequestered like we sequester them in trees and soil and direct air capture potentially. Um, so you can take them out of the atmosphere and put them somewhere. Uh, they can be 
reduced. So this is usually in your own operations. You've got a you're measuring the same thing in mm-hmm. one time period and another time period. Same same <laughs> percentage change, right? Uh, very simple measurement. But the truth is, a lot of what ends up happening is it's not that we need to do the same things more efficiently. We need to redesign how we do things and design out emissions. So by the time we get to the product stage, something like 80% of emissions are already locked in right. through, the, through the design and the service delivery. Because that's kind of business as usual. Right. Right. So rather than shaving off the edges and getting slightly better, um, we could radically rethink things. But that is um, more challenging to measure... And it is measured in ways that uh, people who aren't in the measurement space, and even people who are, um, find less inherently credible. And and that's because there's got to be a whole bunch of counter... Yeah, so call it a counterfactual. Counterfactual is the word right. I'm looking What's, for. What would we be doing otherwise? If we were... Take plenary, for example. If we were making a thousand bottles of detergent, our... Our emissions profile would be based on the plastic bottles that we've purchased, on the liquid we filled them up with, and the transport costs, and then the downstream use of those plastic bottles. But because we don't have water and plastic bottles, we've just got these sachets. Am I my logic's right so yep. far? Yep. We can now kind of make an assumption about what that original emissions profile would have been if it was traditional plastic and. Yep. And under scope four, we could count that as savings, right? The difference? Yes. Now, I do want to specify that scope four, you know, people people have kind of adopted this term because they're looking at it as a, as a build-out of the way we measure carbon currently. Um, the scope four term is not actually used that much by businesses, and it's not got official... It's something that gets bandied about, should we expand this into these ways? Right rather than being, this is an official category and everybody agrees what's going to be in it. Um, but the whole, like, the whole field of impact management is premised on integrity and best efforts, mm-hmm. right? We are, we're out here at a frontier. It's okay to make mistakes um, because that's how we're going to learn things. Then you just have to own those mistakes. And it's also okay, you know, these are the assumptions that we've made. I've given you lots of footnotes that say exactly what it is. You can assess whether you think those are right. good a- a- assessments, yeah. whether those are good assumptions, whether that's good evidence, and that's that's transparency. You can also decide, oh, I think that comparison is dumb. <laughs> There's one dumb comparison which I think needs to be said, and that's when uh, an organisation might threaten to do a certain activity and say, but you could buy us off by, uh, we're going to... We're going to cut down this native forest, but I tell you what, if you if you pay us, we won't. There's a kind of a bribery aspect to that, isn't there? I actually see that the other way around, which is because most of the forest, for instance, that is um, that we need to preserve if we're going to continue to have natural carbon sinks, is on private land. It's literally the only way we have 
of keeping it from being. So it's not about the intent. And that's, that's what I think a lot of the debate focuses on. Well, he wasn't even going to cut it down. But by having, by issuing the carbon credits, oh, it's a financial instrument that huh. says, we're not buying your land, but we are buying the right for that to be for that to be cut down. Same with same with um, you know conservation finance. Yeah, um, oh, it's exactly the same. Yeah. So your point is, who cares about his intent? The forest is still there as a result of that instrument. And it's the only way that we have a a, a path to doing that. Um, the and particularly in you know a lot of the focus here and here in Australia has been on the um, you know kerfluffles in the. The compliance market and the ACU market here, um, but a lot Thank of you. Um, Australian carbon credit unions. Oh, yeah. It's just just like there's New Zealand yeah, carbon have, credit unions, um, rather than the, the voluntary market, <clears throat> which you can trade them all over the world. The a lot of NZUs. Yeah. Um, a lot of the a lot of credits globally are also going to things like similar projects in the developing world where the if there's political will to do anything about climate it's the focus is disproportionately on building uh utility scale um utility scale renewables mm -hmm. things like that mm -hmm. um so it's literally creating it's using the demand for a regulatory market to create some funding that we can use to support things that would not otherwise be economically viable. Yeah. But, you know, a, a, a poor farmer, my, give you a bit of information, my dissertation research was with farmers in the forest in Thailand. Um, so, like, I've got, I've got a, a clear, you know, I can put faces to this. Um, so there are plenty of people around the world who do want to be able to conserve the resources around them, but also need to eat. Yeah. And so I think some of the really great things that carbon credits do, and I'm not, uh, I am not a massive enthusiast. I think they're a very important transition tool, but I'm not, you know, raw, raw carbon credits. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they provide a very important tool for shifting money that is needed to actually save what you know, is the, the lungs of the globe, yeah. uh, which are not in land that we can buy and sell here in Australia, by and large. They're not, like, it is literally short of going and buying tracts of land and then patrolling them, which is also one of the one of the models that gets used, but not to very great effect. <laughs> um, engaging the people who already live on that land, who already are involved in those resources, in the value of conserving them. Yeah. And we're not talking about platitudes, we're talking about <coughs> eating rice. <laughs> yeah, and we're talking about employment yeah. and about training and about equipping generational um, wealth. Uh, yeah, so some of the co-benefits, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a perfect solution, and I'll, I'll say that over and over again, but some of the co-benefits are quite substantial. Yes. And when we focus on climate outcomes to the exclusion of everything else, I think those start to... <coughs> fade from people's peripheral view mm. it's just you know the conversation gets focused on dirty companies using offsets to lie to people and renege on their responsibilities i think those co-benefits are so interesting I, uh, one of the organizations i work with is called reconnecting northland ostensibly they're an ecological restoration organization 
Yeah, but that's what just you, a vehicle. <laughs> what you find is that you're in the business of training, employment. Uh, you're actually in community development. Exactly. Because the ecology doesn't restore itself. You can't just put up a fence and presto. It t- turns out you need care, nurture, you need local knowledge. You need yep. people, particularly mana whenua, people who have lived there for yes. centuries to actually tell you, well, actually that water's poisoned because that stream up there, da 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 So it's kind of interesting. The co-benefits thing um, is hard to calculate and hard to kind of sell because a lot of those things are intangible. I would draw a distinction, and you you cleverly chose a word right in the middle, I would draw a distinction between hard to uh, measure or assess and hard to sum up because they don't sum up easily in a quantitative way right? because they are qualitative stories, but... I'm a sociologist. Quantum qual analysis has been done for decades. (laughs) How many of these were positive outcomes? Um, It is a more complex, it's a more complex measurement. And again, people, a lot of people don't, they want an easy answer that passes the pub test uh, and have a limited willingness to deal in the areas of nuance. Yeah, yeah. We'll run out of answers that fit in that box. Yeah, sure. And and as you say, we're at the forefront of this, so it is kind of being made up as we go along. Um, Let's just go back to the fund. Um, You praised the the fund uh, for the methodology and the reporting. We're still talking about a tiny amount of money, aren't we? we, We're we're very proud of launching. Um, Impact is also volume and scale. Absolutely. What do you both... Our fund and your fund here in Melbourne, what do you think about scale? Are we at the beginning of something that looks like a hockey stick or is this going to be hard yakka for a long time? I, as nerdy as this sounds, I follow um, the development of reporting standards and, and management standards pretty closely because uh, just in the same way, if you ever want to find records go to the tax office because even when everything else burns down, the tax office still has records. <laughs> it's the accounting and the insurance companies <laughs> that are really going to, um, that are really going to change a lot of this. I'm very I excited. I say them and the cockroaches will survive. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because those, those are some of the gates that means that money moves or it doesn't move. Uh-huh. And so there's a couple things going on that are being led in the European market, but they're actually bubbling up now all over the place. One is the development of sustainable finance taxonomies. And that's a taxonomy, just like the way we have taxonomies for plants and animals. You know, Mm -hmm. you can be a dandelion or a marigold, but you can't be both. (laughs) Uh, You've got to have a genus and a species and you fit in one box. Um, And so they've multiple companies. I think it's, it's 30 plus companies at this stage covering most of the developed markets, um, a lot of the emerging markets actually, have been building out sustainable finance taxonomies of, you know, what, not just not just the what, but but a bit of a how in combination. So, yes, this is green, but only if it does not include these other things. Right. Um, how does that? I'm going to race you to the yep. conclusion. How does that change scale and impact? Well, the it's now being used to 
it's being used as an enforcement tool. So ASIC and a lot of other regulators are now coming down on greenwash uh, on the basis, you know, this is this taxonomy is the things that we agree, what isn't is or is uh-huh. not in those boxes, and then they enforce on that basis. It also means that investors will start to do the same things. And so if you're not best dressed, you don't have to be first in, but you've got to be best dressed, yeah. right? So if you've got a robust reporting methodology, you've got transparency. You are now the shiniest apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and you are, so you, you are future even, ready. You, you might even attract money, not just because people are interested in climate, but because they're interested in your methodology or your reporting standards. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's if... People up the food chain from you are going to need to be doing that kind of reporting. Being able to show up and say, if you buy this product or you invest in this thing, hmm. you've already got the reporting of that expenditure into all of the categories it needs to be in. Right. It's an easy plug and play. Yeah. And that's why I get excited about convergence of, of uh, measurement, both measurement systems and sort of... Um, the, the frameworks that go with them. You are a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even started talking about the ISSB. Oh, please don't. <laughs> um, well, that's super interesting. So what you're saying is that if you get the structure of your fund right, there's um, there's a DNA then that sits inside your organisation. You could do alternative funds. You have now kind of behaviours and methods that demonstrate to the market that you you are a responsible caretaker of money. And you design from the get-go for that outcome. Yes. Um, So it's not having to change something that's already in motion. You've got a system. You slot things in. You know what you have to prioritise in terms of what's going to be measured. You know, by the time we onboard a company... Uh, well, but also um, at CDCF, there's already been significant talk about what is appropriate to measure in that area. Yeah. And then you work with the company to figure out, well, what, what are their pain points? What are they trying to solve? What data do they need to reduce those? Right. You know, what's material for them right now? Mm. And you start working down from there. Yeah. That was Jody York of Kalara Capital talking about reporting standards and about scope for emissions. Next week, I talk to Jody about what's happening in climate action in Australia. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō.